Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is David Michael Latt. David is CEO of The Asylum, uh, which is known as Hollywood's most prolific independent film studio. He's also the producer of the Sharknado films, One to Six, uh, Z Nation, Netflix's Black Summer, and as he describes in his Twitter bio, 250 other films you've never heard of. Uh, David, welcome to the show. All true. Well, hi. Hi. Hi, Court. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here. Happy to be here. That's all the statement I'm going to make. We're, we're good to go. Thanks for joining. And uh, we'll see you later. <laughs> and is, cut. Is, is there more to this? I, I, I need to talk to my agent because I told, told me I only had 20 seconds. 20 seconds is about all we can afford, actually, so that's perfect. Um, so, first off, why don't you tell us where you are in the world? I'm assuming you're in Los Angeles? Yes, I am in Los Angeles, looking out my window, seeing a couple homeless people defecating uh, on the corner. A shirtless guy ranting and raving, and a Carl's Jr. across the way. There you go, it's a normal day in paradise. <laughs> Does that uh, provide any inspiration for the films, the things that uh, you kind of see out your window every day? Yes, uh, it inspires me to do better so I can move to Beverly Hills and see very expensive homeless people at a uh, party instead of a Carl Jr. Then I will be moving up in the world. Um, nah, I mean, you know, life in the big city, it's all good. Just to kind of kick off the episode, usually we like to give our episodes themes. Um, in this case, as your producer of, of films, we were hoping that you'd uh, school us on how to produce a film, perhaps specifically how to produce a Sharknado film as an example, and then we could also talk about Z Nation as well. So, the theme is how to produce crappy low-budget films. Fine. Okay, I'll take the challenge. Wow, that is so insulting. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so, what's, what's the question about how to produce it? Yeah, I mean, we can kind of walk through the steps. I mean, whatever, whatever makes the most sense. I mean, normally I'd kind of take it from pre-production all the way to post. How do you even begin? You know, and just to kind of paraphrase, Sharknado, the concept is about a tornado full of sharks. My first question, how do you come up with a concept like that? Uh, how do you even identify that you need a film like that? And does someone pitch that to you? Do you come up with that yourself? Like, where? Did, how does that all happen? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that the world needs a uh, shark and tornado. I think that was uh, from the get-go in a lifelong dream of mine. Put that out in the world. And so, uh, it, it, you know, you're welcome. There's really nothing I have to say about that. Um, the... Um, you know, the process for how it goes from uh, let's put sharks in the tornado to let's um, have a red carpet prepare with um, the Crash Titan and Drag Queen um, is it's, it's really kind of easy when you look, when you go through it and when you look back at it, it just seems a little complicated. Which is, you know, the company that I started uh, 21 years ago with my partners um, uh, is a studio which means that we produce and we um, release movies. It's not just a production company, it's just a distribution company. We do everything, everything within one room, which is a real important thing to uh, say because A, not a lot of people do that, and, and B, it defines in how we make film. So the departments that uh, go out and, uh, and convince um, networks or whomever or distributors to buy our movies are basically trying to find out what they want. And they pitch them ideas, and the network pitches them, and goes back and forth. And in this very specific case of Sharknado, um, 
we had already um, made a bunch of movies for sci-fi. We've already released a bunch of movies for sci-fi. Um, by that point, we've had like 50 of our movies um, circulated in their network. And um, this was, you know, one of those having dinner with uh, um, uh, sci-fi, kind of playing catch-up that we see a few times a year. And they said, what do you have coming up? We said, well, we have this one story. Um, where we do disaster movies. Sci-fi is a kind of really like disaster films, like creature films. Um, so we always kind of pitch. If we had to pitch, um, we catered to, of course, what the uh, buyer wants. And, uh, you know, we knew this would be kind of something we'd be interested in, which is, well, we have this concept called Shark Storm, where there are sharks. Um, there's a big storm and, and in L.A. and in the ocean. Uh, the waters are warm enough. We have a lot of great whites. Um, the storm comes up, picks up, uh, sharks and dumps them into Los Angeles and people have to kind of bend themselves. And they love the concept, but more importantly, they had this um, thing on their end where they had produced a, a movie that had the term Sharknado in it. And they always loved, you know, hooked themselves in that title and said, wow, this is great. We for years had this, this title that we really loved. So if you could, you know, would you mind if you use your concept but now you used our title, we'll go, we'll rewrite this right away. And of course, being whores that we are, said absolutely genius, but in our back of our mind, we're, we're never going to call this big Sharknado that's kind of silly. We, you know, we do serious movies. Uh, even though they're really stupid and fun and mindless and popcorn films, I mean, at the end of the day, they're silly. Uh, but, uh, they have a seriousness to them. So Sharknado is kind of too B-movie, kitschy, um, you know. So we just, we were going to dismiss the title, but we're going to go forward with the film because that was the easiest path to take in order to make a film. Uh, and uh, we did it, and uh, it was released to the world, and here we are six movies later, and, um, you know, in charge of a dynasty <laughs> that rivals anything out there. Did you ever anticipate that it would have the viral potential that it that it did? I mean, obviously you knew with that title that it was a little crazy, but did you know that it would have that kind of, you know, notoriety, so to speak? No, of course not. I mean, you know, I, I think any look, one thing I'm getting to know in my old age is nobody knows nothing uh, at no time, no way, no how, and um, you know, you can plan, you hope for the best, you produce what you can, the best that you can. You know, but it's like that for anything. And, you know, every every player um, that goes up on the field believes they're going to win, someone's going to lose. And, you know, more often than not, kind of lose, um, you know, in this field because there's only few that kind of really get down the ballpark. And in this particular case, we won, you know, which is wonderful. Um, a great feeling. And and I'm very proud of the work that was done and the people that were involved in it. I mean, it's been really a phenomenal uh, experience all the way around, but uh, no, we had no idea. No one had any idea. You know, they thought Solo was going to be, you know, make billions. Right. <laughs> put all the elements together, but still, you know, failed. Solo was a good film, but it just didn't hit when it, you know, maybe they released it two days later or had different marketing or just whatever. And same with this, you know, our, the writer of the first film, Thunder Levin, uh, he was kind of a negative, cynical guy, kind of a gruff guy. Um, <laughs> but the humor is impeccable, basically said, well, lad, you know, you go up to bat 150 times, you're bound to hit a home run. Because we had previously produced about 150 movies. 
know, he's right. <laughs> but, you know, I guess the odds were with us, although there have been other companies who are made this pretty well. But, uh, you know, there you go. And as far as the, the producer role and, and the whole journey, as far as pre-production, what's that like? So you know you're going to make this Sharknado film. Are you, I'm assuming you're looking at casting, you're looking at locations, breaking the script down. Like, what does that look like? Does that fall under your specific wheelhouse, or do you have people who do that for you? Uh, well, uh, we have teams that, uh, you know, department heads that handle everything, but that's producer and oversee everything. So uh, we have, there's three partners here at the asylum. There's 30 employees, and the three partners kind of separate the powers where I handle uh, all of the production side of it. So um, it's my responsibility to get the cast, ensure the budget, hire the keys, um, you know, prove every, you know, every part of the show um, to make it what it is, for good or for bad. Sometimes I am the greatest producer in the world, and sometimes I am the worst human being slash producer in the world. So, you know, but it's my responsibility to ultimately shepherd all of it. So I, I have my hands in it. Uh, a lot depending on what the show is. So when you have a show like Sharknado, uh, I'm a little bit more involved than I am on the other shows. So we'll, we'll do uh, two films a month, and well, currently we have two TV series, but it's time in a week we're going to have two films a month. And those films were much lower budget. When you have something that's being uh, partnered with a network, the budgets go much higher, and you have to actually do a little more work, as I do, as far as. Um, making sure that, that every party is happy, the networks are happy, we're happy, the buildings are happy, um, and we're getting what we want. So um, I'm a little bit more involved in those kind of productions just because there's a little more money involved, a little more cooks in the kitchen, um, and a lot more egos, and you know, you're also dealing with, at that level, you know, more egos on the star side, on the crew side, because you're hiring bigger directors, bigger writers, that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of psychologists involved and whatnot. But outside of that, if we just go back to our smaller films, I, you know, uh, I really put a lot of faith in the line producers to kind of grab the show and make it their own. So um, they're doing, they're kind of my team in a sense, but, um, you know, I am still looking at all the costumes and the locations and I'm going through every draft of the script. And, you know, making notes and going through all the dailies and um, visiting on set. And I'm still involved. Um, uh, just a different kind of degree. When you were working on producing this film, you said that, you know, Sharknado as a concept was a little crazy. Were you taking it any less seriously than you were a normal film? Or were you working even harder? Because you're like, maybe this could be even bigger. Did that affect the way you were producing it? it, it, it you know, I... I always like to challenge my partner, like to um, throw things in my path uh, in the last moment, um, sometimes deliberately just to kind of make challenges to the experience. Uh, like, um, for example, we were doing a film called Snakes in the Train, and this is early on in our, in our company, and um, we were a week away from finishing, and he's film marketing in town, and the Japanese buyers come in and see a poster of Snakes in the Train, and Snakes in the Train, we were doing a bottle snake is eating uh, the train in the poster, but not in the movie. The movie is about 10,000 snakes, and they all kind of, you know, invest the, uh, the train, and C.H. 
he calls up and goes, okay, that good news or bad news? We made a Japanese sale. Fantastic. That's wonderful. But only if we make the snake as big as the train twelve at the end. But like, we're, we're four days from shooting. We're finishing. <laughs> so, uh, but we did it. We made the, we made the challenge. The challenge accepted. We, we got it done. And, and it actually, I think, worked out really well. And so, you have these situations, um, you know, with uh, uh, the other shows that, uh, you know, have the same kind of, you know, throwing uh, drama <laughs> in these situations that, uh, um, uh, you know, we have to kind of overcome. That answer any questions or that my point on the Yeah, no, definitely. What's a day on the set? of a Sharknado film like? Are you on the set as producer? I would imagine maybe you are. Are you not? What's no, it like? I, I'm really not. Um, you know, uh, I will show up on occasion to most, you know, I always try and show up. I know it sounds horrible. I, I mean, believe me, there was a time when I was on the set every day, overseeing everything, being, you know, really just kind of onerous, you know, uh, presence on the, on the set. But, um, you know, as I get older and I trust my team more, I will show up maybe once, uh, twice on these shows. Again, the bigger shows require a lot more attention, so I'll be there a little bit more. But in the case of Sharknado, uh, those shows are shot all over the world. So um, I'm usually here in L.A. and I usually stay here in L.A. I have too much to do uh, to go traveling. So uh, um, uh, they get away with, uh, you know, dad is uh, away on vacation. We get to party all night. <laughs> And when you do show up to the set, what is your role as producer? Are you kind of mostly just overseeing? Uh, to make sure that we're servicing what the script is, that, that the script is approved, um, is, is the script that, uh, that we're making, that we don't um, get too arty on things or, you know, don't deliver what we promise. And, and that's, that's like a big thing. That's what we want you to do, is make sure that there's a monster in the film, we're going to show a monster. You know, I mean, I, it, it's just, it sounds pretty fundamental, but you have a lot of artists and egos and creators involved. And so it, uh, it becomes, there's something you have to parent and, and babysit and on and whatnot. And to go back to answering, before I went on the Trump tangent, you know, taking it seriously. And, and uh, you know, and, and do I do I look at these shows, you know, like Sharknado and figure out how to go, you know, put it in and do I take it seriously? Yes. The one thing that you will always look at, these movies, and you will see, is everyone's taking it very seriously, no matter how silly the the, um, the complications of the plot is. They're, they're all taking it very, very seriously. So we take it very seriously. And if there's sharks in the train, and we have to figure out a way that basically tells that story in a way that uh, is not weakening to the audience or patronizing the audience or making it a comedy. Um, you know, my challenge was I read the first script of Sharknado, and it's not that I hated it, but I hated it. But the big reason I hated it was it was a comedy, and the and, and the writer kept insisting it's a comedy, and and we as a studio kept going, this isn't a comedy. You can't leak to the audience. You have to um, make this as serious as possible. But he like you can't put sharks in head without being comedy. It's like and so the biggest running joke was every single time, you know. Uh, I mean, and so he would end up rewriting it and, and stuff. But the biggest, the worst part about it was sci-fi loved the script. They loved the script. They wanted to pull back on the comedy, but they loved the script. So I kind of like 
still, they would all talk about, you know, my notes on the on the dailies, on the scripts, I would write all over the place, like, this is not a fucking comedy. <laughs> Period. Uh, and stop it. Stop it with the humor. Um, now, uh, that has changed. The Sharknado world is definitely one where we're reaching the audience. If you look at film six compared to film one, we're definitely the characters don't take this seriously. There's a lot more you play for the jokes a lot more and whatnot, but uh, that's not our MO with, with how we make films normally. Like, uh, no, Sharknado has a lot you know, you said that you didn't originally like the, the scripts with the comedy. Would you say you were successful, at least in the early films, is capturing that? Or do you feel like they did end up kind of being maybe too comedic or... I, you know, I, I, I like comedy. I, you know, I, you know, so the challenge is to suppress my love of comedy because as a studio boss, um, I know they don't sell. Comedy don't sell, period. Um, and so you can't, you know, I think my, my love of comedy, just like, just like I love documentaries, documentaries don't sell. Um, but I will always watch a documentary and I will always watch comedy. Um, and if it's a comedic documentary, that's even better. Um, but, uh, so I, it, it, it hurts internally to, to fight against that because I know that if I make comedy, it's not going to do as well in the marketplace. And then we don't make as much money and therefore I have to fire people and therefore I lose the ability to, um, you know, make more movies because people aren't buying and then the buyer's not happy because we gave a comedy, not a sci-fi film or whatever it is. I mean, the house of cards falls down pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to find the right writers. And, and again, so I think it's a little bit of an anomaly to have life done became its own voice. And so there's a lot of, you're playing towards really kitschy lines, really stupid new action, really, you know, this last one on number six, I'm like, we made a cartoon. That's where we're at with this. I mean, we have shown the world that, that uh, and I don't say that urgently, it's a cartoon. Um, you look at all the action, how the characters are impacted, how the drama is invalidated, and that's where it is. And that's where the life of the show where it became, which is, it, it, became, it became about organically, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it's fine. The world has accepted that. And would you say that Sharknado is the most successful series you guys have done, or is it just the most maybe known? How, would, how does it fall into the uh, catalog of, of the works that you guys have produced? I would say undoubtedly the, uh, um, the most, yeah, the most well-known. Um, I, I can go to parties and some of them, what do you do when I start producing our NATO? I'll get one of two reactions. Well, one of three reactions. One, they'll walk away. Two, they'll be like, ah, ow, the third, and it's very rare, but it's, I, I don't know what that is. Um, but, as opposed to telling anyone I've made anything else, including the TV series, where they just look at you like, oh, that's nice, that's something I don't ever see. I don't know what you're talking about. It also has a very big worldwide audience. I mean, we hope to be a worldwide audience. Uh, so we know the impact has it, you know. I mean, when, when Sharknado is released domestically, it's also released, um, you know, 80 countries simultaneously, which is a very unheard of coordinated event. The world likes it. Um, some some countries like it more than others, <laughs> but um, 
it's pretty exciting. And based on... Let's put it this way. Yes. When, when, when I die, um, the lead line in the obituary will be the producer of Sharknado. Won't be anything else. <laughs> so that brings me to my next question. Given the success of I'm this... <laughs> given the success of this, do a lot of people pitch you like, you know... What about dogs on a you know spaceship or something? Is there like an obvious like attempt to or desire to replicate the success? Well, there's a desire to be as successful as it. Um, I, I think we're all resigned to the fact that if there's another successful um, entity that comes out of this company, it won't be what Sharknado will be or was. It'll be something else, um, and it may have other success. It may have worse. It may have success in a different way. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it, again, it's nothing to really, um, that, uh, the farm on. I mean, it's, it's just something you do when you, and if you do it well, and you hit the right moment, and everything starts to align, it's great. Um, but we don't go into something like, all right, how do we top Sharknado? How do we, how do we shark, out shark the Sharknado? How do we jump the shark on, on, on this particular show? No, we go into every movie going, all right, we're doing, uh, this, uh, you know, thriller um, about a mother and a daughter stuck in a, in a cave. You know, all right, so let's make the best thriller mother and daughter in a cave that we can possibly do. And, um, you know, I, there's no expectation of, of breaking through the dog dice, um, but there wasn't any with Sharknado either. I mean, we're just, we're just doing what we love to do, which is make movies, and hopefully some of them work better than others. Wow, and then just to... Yeah, I, this would be terrible if I was trying to raise money on online. <laughs> Even given the success of it, you're saying, oh, you're not necessarily going to just sell out and go for like the easiest next Sharknado. There is nothing easy about what we do. And even if we wanted to go for low-key fruit, it's still not an easy task to do. I mean, you know, every film has extreme challenges, which is what makes it so much fun in, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, uh, I... I I said I had two of the partners. They, they mostly handle distribution of business. I, you know, as I always say, like they make the money, I spend the money. I don't know what happens after we make the movie. And you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, hey, did, you want to go and be released on Netflix or Blu-ray or released here or get the action. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't focus on anything after I'm done with the movie. Because I'm usually working on 10 other movies at the same time. So I don't have the luxury of time to kind of figure out the long-term you know, mapping plan of, all right, if we shoot in March this one film, we're going to hit Sharknado numbers by June, and we're going to be able to sell it to here for billions of dollars and do our video game in December. That's not what I'm doing. And, you know, I just, every film, I'm focused just trying to make the best film, uh, and I think they're entertaining, and I think they're of high quality, especially with the limitations of budget and time. Um, and, you know, you may look at crappy reviews, but I say great for the crappy reviews because they're comparing a hundred million dollar movie to one cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, they're looking at something and being as entertained as people's, you know, boxes of a hundred fifty million dollar movie. So great, you know, yeah, it's not going to hold up, but it's still going to be a lot of fun. So the quality level, I think, it's, it just happens with because of my point of view of trying to just make the best movie I can and hiring people to share that same philosophy and not just, you know making a widget film or going out for the big bucks or doing whatever. There isn't any big bucks anyway, so you might just have fun, you know, in the process. Wrapping up the production side of things, I would imagine you are involved in the uh, post-production side, right? At what point do you hand off the, the film when the 
final master is right. delivered? Okay. Uh, it's funny. The assumption is there, and certainly on Sharknado, I am there until we hand the master to whoever we're handing it to. I am involved in every frame of that. Um, but all the other movies, I see the first rough cut, um, and I'm pretty much done up to the first rough cut. My partner then takes over, who pretty much handles all the posts. So he'll he'll be shepherding and giving notes to all the other uh, incarnations. He'll watch my three or four more edits. He'll then do the final screening. He'll be involved in sound. Um, he'll you know just make sure uh, for his end because he handles most of the sales that um, that this film is packaged as tight as possible and it's off the race. So I you know it's funny because we'll have a, a big party or screening usually for the, these movies and. The if they don't know me, will come up and go, you know, uh, are you excited to see this movie? I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen it with the first rough cut, you know. <laughs> I, I'd love to see it because the first rough cut usually sucks. Um, and I'm always very entertained at the end of the day of, of what put together and how the filmmaker really uh, shepherds well, you know, involved uh, a lot more than I am. So, post-production-wise, uh, I'd love to be a lot more involved, but again, I'm shooting two films on the TV series. So, yeah, and as far as goals when you wake up and you're ready to make the next film the next film do you have like a an ideal goal for yourself like as a producer would you want to win the best picture is that something that you want to do i you know i think i've been handed a lot of riches in my life the extent that i don't need anything else um i've been very very cautiously lucky with um a company that i love people i respect and love that I surround myself with in, in, in the industry that I have always wanted to be in. You know, I'm one of those very kids that made short films in the age of seven and always wanted to be in. I am so grateful about that I've been doing and grateful things out of nothing. Um, and that, you know, the award stuff, my brother has won about five Emmys and he is at the top of his game and very, you know, on the cover of magazines, like this, like, um, uber producer guy, great, whatnot, and he will still sit with, with new clients, new people, and you will always be like, hey, did you rather do Sharknado? I was like, no, screw you, I, I won. I didn't get the Emmys, but <laughs> I still, I'm still probably the cutest uh, kid in the band. Um, I, I don't look at it in those terms. Um, if I died tomorrow, I'd be very, very happy with, uh, with it. I, um, you know, I, uh, no, I, I just, uh, uh, those, I'm not in it for that. So it's like, I, I don't need it. Um, I did, you know, it's funny because, um, I did need it early on. Um, early on, I was, I just, as a director, I was directing these movies, the genre films. I didn't see myself like that. I wanted to make charts, you know, I wanted to make studio, big studio films. Um, I didn't want to do genre films. I felt like I was cheating and it was just beneath me. And really, my ego was driving me something else. So I um, wrote um, a script that I would tell investors, this is going to make no money, but I'm doing it to win awards, go to festivals, be the, India, the, the industry's the darling, um, be the Hollywood boy toy, and just stay in that place as long as I can. And so I did that. And it was a real difficult challenge because... It pulled me away from the asylum. Um, it caused a little bit of friction between me and my partner because he couldn't understand 
this ego. Um, I mean, you understand that with your ego. But you didn't understand where this drive was coming from. And, you know, and but this was really important to me. And so I made it. Uh, it won a whole bunch of awards. It was got written up as a top ten movie in a bunch of lists for that year. I mean, this this thing, everything I needed to do. At the end of it all, and I got invited to festivals, museums, talking, and it was. I met a lot of wonderful people that I'm still friends with today, um, and I, I loved the entire experience. And the biggest thing I loved about it is that I got it out of my system. When I was done with it, I went, "Oh, okay." I did that. I did what I what I thought I wanted, but what I really want to do is make more movies. What I really want to do is just be more involved in that. And it really focused me to go back to uh, making genre films and really enjoying the process and really having a lot of fun. And I think if I didn't do that one movie, um, I would probably say, yeah, the goal is Emmys or Nobel Peace Prize or you know, uh, Pulitzer, I don't know. Um, but being able to do that, it definitely got out of my system. And, you know, it, it freed me up to make these other films that I'm so immensely proud of. And I have no desire to, like, you know, get the award. I, I will say the ego gets a little bit bruised um, at Comic-Con, because uh, I still have a freaking ego. Um, that, you know, for years I have been invited to, like, the EW party party at Comic-Con. All my friends get invited. Everyone gets invited, but I get kicked the corner. <laughs> and so it's kind of a joke here that my company that I signed up at this party and all the cast members that I've ever been, they all know and what the That's like when the ego gets a little bruised. But otherwise... You're not invited to our party at, at New York Comic-Con. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not invited to my own party tonight, bro. You just didn't make the cut. I, there are so many... I don't think I've been invited to a rap party in about 10 years. I think people just kind of You've actually put a put a uh, photo of you. It's going to be on the list. It says, "Do not let David Michael out in with a photo of some sharks." And... I, I wouldn't be. You, I wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> and, uh, local supermarket. Uh, have the same thing. <laughs> you know, don't catch the um, yeah, Totally get it. Let's talk before we wrap up. Let's talk Z Nation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on with that and and, and what's on the horizon? Well, Z Nation is this season. Um, it, it starts uh, October 5th, premieres on October on Sci-Fi. And if your audience is younger than 50, that's a uh, network that is on your, I don't know, cable channels. Um, I don't know what number that is or whatever. But if, cable, if you if you cut your cord, you're probably not able to see it unless you have another, like a Roku or something like that. Because I, I mean, a lot of young people that have no idea what Sci-Fi is, but they watch um, The Nation on, on Netflix. But you're not going to see that until... January, beginning when the whole series. So we have 13 episodes to our fifth season. I don't know if it's our final season. I hope not, but we're really kind of really long in the tooth uh, in five part terms. I mean, they do not renew in five seasons. So the fact they renewed it for the season, everyone, you know, for me, it's my first series. I'm like, yeah, we got five seasons, who cares? Everyone's like, oh my God, you got five seasons. That's incredible. <laughs> so, um, uh, but it's, you know, this year we really, uh, it, it's, it's a different kind of approach this year as the nation. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more of a storyline that falls through throughout the whole thing. I think the, the others were, were so episodic, you can kind of pull 
this episode out and the 10th episode out and whatever episode and, and you wouldn't miss the story you, you know because there's like bigger arc that you wouldn't miss the story you just have to do this particular is more like a soap opera drama this one this season is you kind of have to watch all the way through um in order to kind of get where the story's going i mean it's still z nation it's still stupid and fun and crazy and you know all the characters are there but the story-wise it's a lot it's driving the season i would say even like the first season of the nation where, you know, everyone was focused on getting the main character, Murphy, to California from back east. Um, and that's kind of what this is too. It's a real strong focus on trying to uh, um, create a new world uh, called New America. Uh, it's really, there's some episodes just like, they just take you on the floor. They're, just, they're so good. Um, and, uh, you know, based on the success of the nation, we actually were able to get Netflix to uh, do a spin-off series called Black Summer, um, and we just finished shooting those episodes of Canada, our first production in Canada, I have all the movies, and it's um, a show, um, and we just wrapped on Saturday, or Sunday, and uh, I've seen an episode, I've seen daily, but the episode is, I mean, this is the one that kind of scares me, because this is the one you kind of go, oh, shit, this is really good for the movie. I mean, this is, it's really good. Um, the people that we have in charge there, led by John Hyde, directed some of my favorite stuff on the nation, kind of took the creative helm on this one. And, oh, my God. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. It, it's so, he, he's so innovative. He's so creative. This is, this is the kind of thing that I just, you just let him go and go make the show you want to make, because there's a lot of trust involved and just respect of what he does and, and thankfully between him and Carl Schaefer, who is the uh, show, uh, showrunner and co-creator on The Nation, he also is the showrunner and co-creator on uh, Black Summer. I mean, it's, it's full of proof. I mean, I don't, if anyone says anything bad about it, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't trust their opinions. Don't talk to them anymore. I, you know, this show is, is, is pretty freaking amazing. Look, I say that as a fan. I mean, I'm a fan of, because, because I'm kind of on the outside looking in. I mean, I'm just riding the coattails on this thing because it, it, it has so little to do with me, you know? I mean, I'm sitting there giving notes on scripts and edits and whatnot, but really, it's all, it's so all that, but I pull myself away and say, this is really good. Um, you know, the nation has its ups and downs, and I tell them when they missed and tell them when they hit, but, it, you know... It's, I'm still kind of more of an observer on that show as well because you have a showrunner. In this town, these showrunners really control the show. And you either invest in them and you trust them, you know, because they're going to take this into uh, a place you've never been to before, or you're going to have problems. And for us, it was easy to give it, you know, kind of release that and give it all to Carl uh, to do. Um, and we haven't been wrong in five seasons. And I think last, uh, last summer's going to be the same thing. It's just, it's so amazing. And trust me, if, if I was involved as he was, I wouldn't be talking like this. I, 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 as I've always said before about the nation, I am a fan first of producer second because it's just such a fun show. And last summer's the same way. It is just, I would love to watch this thing. And the fact that I get to walk around with a hat that says Black Summer and crew, you know, or a coat because of the swag, it's like, I, 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 I kind of know how, like, the stranger thing people feel or Walking Dead, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm proud of what, what that's what this is. Wow. I have one, a couple other final questions before we wrap. Um, the first one is, from all your experience producing films, 
Do you have one piece of advice, one learning that you want to share with aspiring producers, aspiring filmmakers, anybody that wants to make a film like Sharknado? Well, I, 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 I don't make Sharknado. Do your own thing. It's like, you know, I, when, when, when Blair Witch came out, um, everyone, you know, I, we got so many projects from people going, okay, this is a sound footage film, but this is so much better than Blair Witch. So Blair Witch made a quarter of a billion dollars. It's going to make you a half a billion. Like, shut up. You know, just, just ride what you want. <laughs> just ride the crazy. Um, and same thing with Sharknado. Hey, I got a great, you know, beavers in a tornado. And cows in a No, I, you know, it, it's not going to. So I have a few pieces of advice to do what you want to do with. Um, but it really is the lens of a genre filmmaker, a genre producer, which is um, if you're writing a genre film, uh, basically, write your film to your traditional trio. Um, have people reread it and read it. Don't ever give them a reverse trap, even if they're, you know, if it's like, hey, my friend's a producer, and they'll read it. Like, I'm giving all these that. So you're going to make them here on this page just to get an absolutely phenomenally tight, fantastic, with great characters, great action, great everything. It is the best, most Oscar worthy script ever. When you have that script in your hand, you're finally done. Take the first two acts and throw them in the trash. Because the genre script starts at act three. That's it. I mean, you know, you want to grab them when the monster's chasing them, when people are dying, <laughs> when the world's coming to an end, when the pressure is really tight in the beginning and gets really freaked out towards the end, when, you know, you can't, I mean, these are, you know, that's like the biggest piece of advice when writing the genre film. The studios, they could write all their character-driven stuff if you want to, but for me, when you're, you know, I will appreciate learning a character flaw in the middle of action than I am with finding out if you have two characters talking in a coffee shop and they go, wow, you know, when I was, uh, you know, eight years old, I almost drowned in the pool. Oh, that's horrible. It's awesome. You know, you know, they start talking, they have that moment, they'll be drama with them, with an Oscar. But for me, I want just hear that information when the monster's chasing down the hill and they're running towards the lake and one of them dives into the lake and we gotta get in the lake and the other one's staying at the shore and you're like, what the fuck, get into the lake, get into the lake? It's like, I can't, like, why not? I don't know how to swim. I almost drowned when I was eight. I can't swim. <laughs> That's when I want to know the character development. <laughs> you know? And I get the same bits of information in both places but I don't have to watch them drink coffee and talk about their lives which I really don't care about in a lot of so there's, you know, always keep that ticking clock going. Oh, you know, there's just, there's, you know, things that I'm sure your more experienced writers know, but just, you know, I always, early on, would tell uh, uh, people, you know, to get your ticking clock on this page. Um, come up with five setups that will pay off later on. So, you know, you bring the, his, the play uh, um, analogy, the Hitchcock one, you put the bomb under the, uh, the table and, all the time, so you have that tension. This is the same thing. Set up something early on. This this works in any genre, and we do every genre. The payoffs become so much more profound to the story. Um, and so, always kind of really focus on some payoffs, some setup, great payoffs. Um, the other thing, if you're writing for agents, um, and you're you know you're looking for that agent, and, and you're going after. You should know, and I don't know if your audience knows or not, but, you know, um, your script will go into a pile. Uh, if an agent will read it, 
um, will go into a pile where their 17-year-old intern will grab 15 to 20 scripts for that Friday, have to read them all by Monday with a synopsis. And it's like, it's insane. That 17-year-old is going to put you in these piles of huge scripts that they're going to really get a lot out of it. And they're, so they're not. And some of it's going to be left to the side. So the tricks are um, make it short, make it under 100 pages. Um, you know, 95. If I'm, a, if I'm a, a reader, I mean, what would you do? It's like I see a script 140 pages, 120 pages, or something that's 87 pages. I realize that the traditional script is 120 pages. Do the 87 page because you want it in and out real quick. Um, because they want a real, they want it in and out real quick. You want them to read as much as possible. And they're going to look at that pile and going, I'm going to read the 87 page first. <laughs> if I get to the 140 page one, so be it, but I, I don't have time for that. So write it short. Um, and then make sure the first three pages are the best three freaking pages you've ever written in your life because they will put it down. Um, make sure that you pay off everything in every act, but the first few pages are like they grab you by the neck and won't let you go. Uh, I will also say this, um, television has eight to nine acts as opposed to a feature film which has um, three acts. I would write towards the eight to nine acts. Um, structure because in the eight to nine act structure, you will always have to make sure you have some kind of referred action to it. So if it's real simple terms, it's a monster movie, you're going to make sure the monsters in every act. If it's a disaster, you're going to want to make sure a disaster happens in every act. Um, you know, you just want to make sure these acts can almost stand alone and be a serial, like like one of those old serials where you're falling off a cliff and then you have a commercial. That's where the act ends. If you focus on a three-act structure, you're only going to have the action two or three times. And it's not going to move, it's not going to motivate the reader. That's who you want to get at this point to turn the page. You know, once you're there, once you get the reader to, like, be excited by it, then your next thing is with the agent. And the agent's never going to read the greatest novel. And, and they're going to hand it over to, you know, hey, we have some people that want to meet you over DreamWorks. Great. They're not going to read your script. They're going to read the coverage from the agent. So the idea is that you need to get to the room because the coverage says this is a guy that, or a gal that knows how to write fast and good and great action and it's fun to read. That's all they need to do. They're going to say, let's talk about a different project. No one cares about the script that you wrote. That script that you wrote could be produced a couple of films from now, but they want you to talk about other things. So the whole challenge is to get the 17-year-old to write get good coverage at this agency. That's my little bit of advice. That wasn't a little bit. That was pretty profound. We covered film school for that. Skip the film school. Just go right to David Michael Latt's writer experience episode. Um, right. Although I yeah. will say that the biggest advice, like you know, after all this technical advice, the biggest advice is this town really only makes films people they know. Period. It's all about who you know, and you hear that, and you go, "Oh, really? I don't know nobody. I, you know, I'm from Iowa. I don't know." Like, stop. You. There are symposiums, there are conventions, there are places to meet people, there are film um, commissions, there are local productions, uh, and then you can go to technical school. So you talk about the David School of Filmmaking, forget that. Go, go to a technical school because everyone is, is, is in the same kind of focus of trying to, you know, uh, uh, be in this industry. So in five years, ten years from now, they're all going to be in the industry, maybe in different places, but you need to know people, period, because that's when you go to the parties, introduce yourself, have cards ready, Make sure you meet as many people as possible. That's how you're going to make your movie. And that's how you'll get into the party as well. Well, you, not if you're 
Well, thanks, man. I think that's about our time. Did you want to shout out your... Um... Sure. Um, you know, come to the Twitter. You know, I always do a lot of giveaways uh, for my shows. I love interacting with fans. Um, I've done, you know, I, believe me, I've made a lot of friends on, on, on Twitter, which is wonderful because I don't talk politics. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you don't talk politics. That's my Facebook. Uh, my Twitter handle is David M. Lapp. There you go. L-A-P-P, David M. Lapp. There it is. Um, well, thank you, David. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. It was fun. Thank you, too. And thank you for everyone. Thank you for listening. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll have you back on, and, and we'll think about inviting you to the next party next year, depending. Ah, See how you do. Um, I've heard that before. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you again, and thanks to our all listeners. Right. Uh, don't forget to check out Z Nation October 5th, um, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>